Today we begin a brand new sermon series called Intervention. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be thinking about intervention. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word intervention, I think about an organized effort to confront someone who's battling some form of addiction. And this organized group effort is to kind of help them to understand how their addiction is not only affecting them, but how it's affecting everyone around them. And, and in the context of addiction and intervention, the goal is that the person who is battling the addiction, who's engaged in addictive behavior, might seek help or just simply stop doing whatever it is that they're addicted to. Now, sometimes uh, intervention works and sometimes interventions don't work. A lot of it depends, I guess, on who's the one initiating the intervention. Uh, are they respected and loved enough by the person that's battling the addiction that they might be open to hearing what that person might have to say? Uh, another factor that might affect whether or not an intervention is successful or not is how you do the intervention. That can play a part. And then, of course, a big factor in whether or not an intervention is successful is, is the person who's exhibiting the addictive behavior, are they in a place where they can receive the intervention as, as their loved ones desire uh, for them to find healing and to find hope and to find help? That's a big part in whether or not someone um, is able to receive an intervention well. Regardless of uh, how it happens or why it happens, uh, interventions are really hard. And they're really uncomfortable. Not only for the person on the receiving end of the intervention, but also for those of us who might want to intervene. I'm guessing that interventions are uncomfortable for all of us, whether you're on the giving end of the intervention or on the receiving end of the in intervention. And I'm guessing that interventions are even uncomfortable when they come from the Lord. Uh, now, I know that in a room this size and people listening to us online, there's bound to be somebody here that really doesn't even believe in God. You're here not because you believe in God at all, but you're here because it keeps the peace in your family if you show up and suffer through an hour of listening to Tommy preach. Uh, you're here because uh, you're, you're being forced to be here by someone in your family. There's probably somebody here this morning within the sound of my voice that really doesn't believe in God at all, and so you're just kind of suffering through this. And I just want to say I thank you for being here this morning, if that applies to you, because uh, regardless of how we might see God in a different way, or some might see God and others might not see God at all, I fully expect that God still has much for me to learn from you, and maybe, just maybe, you might have something to learn from me and so I'm glad you're here but there are some people here who have no trouble believing in God but they do have trouble believing in a God who intervenes 
You know, that, that's why all this evil stuff happens in the world. is because God might be there, but God really doesn't get involved in everything day to day. Your view of God is just this distant, faraway God who's disengaged and, and detached from what's going on in the world. This God just sort of brought everything into being, created the world, and created us. And it just kind of sits back and eats popcorn and watches the rest of the drama unfold. And so you believe in God, but you don't really know if God is in the business of intervening in people's lives. But then there are others of us here, not only do we believe in God, but we believe that God oftentimes intervenes in our lives. And we don't care how cynical other people might be, how skeptical other people might be about a God that might intervene. We believe that God intervenes because we've experienced it in our own lives. There are things that happen to us that we could not describe or explain in any other way way than other than God just somehow intervened to to make things right to put us on a different path to give us a second chance and so I, you, it may be hard to convince anybody else of it, but in our mind, not only do we believe in God, but we believe that God is oftentimes intervening into our lives and into the world, and we've got no problem with it whatsoever. Well, the Scripture, if you read it through with any degree of, of accuracy, you see over and over again that God is shown as intervening in the lives of God's people. Putting us on that right path. Helping send us in a different direction. Making things right that God wants to be made right. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. We're going to look at some of these Scriptures of God seemingly intervening in people's lives. And we're going to see what God might have to say to us. And today's Scripture is about God intervening to correct injustice. God intervening to correct injustice. And the passage of Scripture today is this 1 Kings chapter 21. And the title of the sermon this morning is Setting Things Straight. Setting things straight. Well, our, our story starts out with this guy named Naboth. This guy Naboth, he has a vineyard in Jezreel. And it just so happens that this man's vineyard is right next door to King Ahab's second home. His summer home, if you will. He likes to go there because it's closer to the Sea of Galilee. And the waves and the wind affects the climate in a much more temperate way. He loves to go to his second home. Uh, this man Naboth has this vineyard, and if you know anything about uh, his neighbor, King Ahab, then you know that this guy is not good news. In fact, before what we read today in 1 Kings chapter 21, we are told that King Ahab did more to make God mad than anybody had ever done before him. This guy was not good news. And this guy's looking out one day, and he looks over at his neighbor, his neighbor's vineyard. He says, you know what? I want that for a vegetable garden. Now, you might expect that him being the king and all, he could just simply go over there and say, hey, buddy, I want your land. It's mine now. Thank you very much. Uh, but, but he couldn't really do that. You see, uh, because 
God had placed some limitations on royal authority. Uh, whenever God decided uh, that, that kings could rule over the nation of Israel, God put some stipulations and some limitations in place so that these kings would be less likely to abuse their power. And so one of those limitations that God put into place was you just can't go take other people's land in your kingdom. And so King Ahab just couldn't go in there and take the land. And so instead he decided to make off an offer to Naboth that Naboth couldn't refuse. He said, I tell you what, man, I'm going to give you more than a fair price for this land if you want to sell it to me. But if you don't want to sell it to me, I tell you what I'll do. I'll even give you a better vineyard in another location. If you'll just trade me, it will make this deal work. And yet Naboth wasn't interested in the deal. Uh, Naboth wasn't interested in the deal because Naboth understood this land that he possessed to be a gift from God. You see, whenever the children of Israel were ushered into the promised land, each one of them got a little piece of property. Each one of them got land that they believed was a gift from God. It was a part of God's promise to them. It was a part of the covenant that God made with them. And so Naboth understood that this vineyard was more than just a piece of property. It was God's promise. It was a part of God's covenant with God's people. It was a part of his inheritance that he had received from God. He was not interested in this land. But Ahab really wanted that land for his vegetable garden. Or at least that's what the scripture says. I don't know if that's the whole reason why Ahab wanted the, the, the vineyard. Because I can imagine Ahab probably already had a pretty good vineyard, uh, uh, vegetable garden, don't you think? I mean, Ahab probably already had the very best. He, he probably didn't necessarily need another vineyard uh, for a vegetable garden, even though that's what the text says. It, it makes me wonder, sometimes I, I don't always say what I mean. I mean, yeah, he wanted the garden, but I wonder, did he really want it because he needed a vegetable garden? Or did he want it because when you got a lot, there's never enough. When, when you have a little power, you can just get whatever you want, whenever you want it. And so, there's never enough vegetables. There's never enough land. There's never enough power. There's never enough money. Ahab really wanted that land to make a vegetable garden. But Naboth refused. Naboth said, no, 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 this is my inheritance from the Lord. I'm not interested in any deal that you might have to offer. And so Ahab goes home, slams the door, goes up to his bed, throws himself on the bed and won't eat. He's sulking and pouting. He sounds more like a kid than he does a king. And enter Queen Jezebel. If anybody could rival King Ahab as being one of the most evil people in the world, King Jezebel can. She's pretty evil herself. She married into this family of Israel. She, she, um, 
doesn't worship Israel's God. In fact, she brought her own gods with her. She brought her own religious ideas when she married in. And not only did she bring those religious ideas in, she began to fund and to promote the worship of false gods right there in the promised land. And if she shows up, you know that what was already bound to be a bad story is about to get a lot worse. And King Jeze Queen Jezebel looks over at King Ahab and says, aren't you the king? I mean, what, what's the problem here? You know, where Jezebel, as far as she was concerned, if you're in a position of power and you want something, you just go take it. And that's exactly what she decided to do. I'll cut the story short. Immediately she gets two witnesses, two scoundrels to make up charges about Naboth. And the charge that they make up about Naboth is that he has cursed both God and the king. Either one of those gets you killed. Both of them, you're, you're a goner. You get stoned to death. And that's exactly what happened to Naboth. Uh, taken out and stoned to death because of what happened had happened. You remember at the beginning of the sermon I told you that interventions can be uncomfortable? This story makes me uncomfortable. This story makes me uncomfortable because even though intervention comes, it sure feels like it comes a little late. I mean, I wonder why didn't God intervene for Naboth before he died? That's the same wondering I have when an 18-year-old kid walks in with a semi-automatic weapon into an elementary school and starts shooting people, killing 19 kids and two teachers and injuring countless others. Why didn't God intervene before the tragedy happened? It's the same wondering I have when one country decides to go in and invade another country and kill thousands upon thousands of people, many of them innocent civilians who are only just trying to make a good, honest living and take care of their families. Why doesn't God intervene? It's the same wondering I have when a routine traffic stop means that somebody might lose their life because of the color of their skin or because of the uniform that they're wearing. Why does God not intervene? Now what I'm about to share with you now is not in Scripture. So you won't find it there. Don't blame God. Blame Tommy if you don't like what I'm about to say. But I wonder, God does intervene in this passage of Scripture with Elijah. He tells Elijah, I want you to go and I want you to say to Ahab, look what happened to Naboth is about to happen to you. But I wonder, that part's in the Scripture by the way. I, I, um, but I wonder... Could God have been trying to get Elijah's attention before that? Could God have been wanting Elijah to intervene before Naboth lost his life? 
it seems perfectly reasonable to me because there are times in my life where I am like unsure of what, what God might want me to do or what God might want me to say or where God might want me to go or what God might want me to be. It's not that I'm ignoring God or that Elijah was ignoring God. It's not that I'm rejecting God. It's not that Elijah was neglecting God or rejecting God. It's just sometimes it's hard to know what God wants us to do and what God wants us to say and what God wants us to be. Is it possible that God was trying to get Elijah to get there and to do something and to intervene and to say something before Naboth died. And could the same thing be true today? When you pick up your newspaper or when you turn on the TV or when you check out the news on your phone and you read about the tragedy of the day, when you're tempted to say, where is God? Why doesn't God do something? Could it be possible that God's been trying to get our attention before the tragedy ever took place? Because God wants us to intervene. God wants us to do something. Is it possible? That God is calling us as the people of God, people of faith, to intervene, to set things straight, to make things right, to put people on a better path. Instead of sitting around blaming God for not being there, is it possible that God's upset with us because we weren't.